I'm Douglas Brush, and you're listening to Cybersecurity Interviews. Cybersecurity Interviews is the weekly podcast dedicated to digging into the minds of the influencers, thought leaders, and individuals who shape the cybersecurity industry. I discover what motivates them, explore their journey in cybersecurity, and discuss where they think the industry is going. The show lets listeners learn from the experts' stories and hear their opinions on what works and doesn't in cybersecurity. Hello, and welcome to episode 105 of Cybersecurity Interviews. In this episode, we're speaking with John Hammond. John is a security researcher at Huntress, as well as a cybersecurity instructor, developer, red teamer, and CTF enthusiast. John is a former Department of Defense Cyber Training Academy curriculum developer and teacher for the Cyber Threat Emulation course, educating both civilian and military members on offensive Python, PowerShell, and other scripting languages, and the adversarial mindset. He personally developed training material and InfoSec challenges for events such as Pico CTF and the Capture the Packet competition at DEF CON. John speaks at security conferences such as B-Sides Nova to students at colleges such as the University of North Carolina Greensboro and other events like the Holiday Hack Challenge by SANS. He's an online YouTube personality showcasing programming tutorials, cybersecurity guides, and CTF walkthrough videos. In this episode, we discuss how he started in pen testing, contributing to the community, pen testing versus purple teaming, setting the rules for engagement, solving the same problems, diversity and inclusion, and so much more. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Thanks for listening. John, thanks for joining me in Cybersecurity Interviews. How are you today? Hey there, Doug. I'm great. How about yourself? I'm doing well. And uh, where, where do you hang your hats these days when we're not traveling? Oh, uh, I am over in over in Washington, D.C. It's It's nice over here pretty busy <laughs> yeah i can imagine this is a busy time of year for a variety of reasons in dc oh absolutely yeah so you know why don't you tell listeners a little bit about yourself and how you got started in cybersecurity? sure no i can i can give you the lowdown hope you don't mind i don't know if you want a short story or a long story <laughs> you know what this is a long form interview take as much time as you need all right awesome awesome so hi hello uh my name is john hammond um i am a senior security researcher over at huntress labs there i do a lot of kind of malware analysis and research on current threats and threat actors and malware that's out in the cybersecurity industry um uh, originally, I kind of got my feet wet with the uh, United States Coast Guard. Uh, then I pivoted over to the Department of Defense. I used to teach at their Cyber Training Academy with the uh, Cyber Crime Center and their CTA or their Cyber Training Academy. And I would teach uh, offensive tactics and techniques, uh, PowerShell, Python, just cyber threat emulation, trying to play pretend and be the bad guy, put on the hacker hat for a little bit. Then I worked with the Defense Threat Reduction Agency as a red team operator there. So that was very cool. Got to be on keyboard, do some of the high flying octane cool stuff. Uh, but now I'm with Huntress and I'm loving it. Uh, it's great to help spread awareness and educate and kind of, I don't know, bring an outreach to raise the cybersecurity poverty line. I try to share as much information as I can. So I also have a, a cheesy YouTube channel where I, I showcase like capture the flag video write-ups or solutions and, and cybersecurity stuff to hopefully educate people and, and get a lot of folks in the know. Yeah, no. And, and what attracted me to you and other folks uh, that I bring on the show is, you know, folks that give back what, what I guess what's, what was the ability for you to start doing a uh, kind of a YouTube channel or something that kind of gives back? 
Yeah. So, I mean, I, I personally learned kind of self-taught, right? And it's weird to say self-taught, but it's, it's not that not all of this stuff is particularly taught in schools, right? You need <laughs> so, to go to hacker college, John, come on. <laughs> right. That's the thing. <laughs> um, I don't know, you know, too many, I think kids or students or, or young folks, maybe it's just not in their high school. Maybe it's not in their educational curriculum. Uh, and it, it doesn't go into all that much depth, even if it is there. So you look online, you try to find some online resources and tutorials on YouTube or Google, whatever, you know, Google's your best friend. Uh, and that's how I picked it up. That's how I wanted to get into software development and, and coding and programming and all that. So I thought, Hey, I should try this too. You know, the best way to learn is to try and teach it yourself. How's the response been from folks with the information that's out there? Oh, it's been awesome. It's, it's honestly been incredible. I, I think I owe, uh, every single success that has come my way, uh, truthfully to that. I think sharing and I don't know, I don't know, being, I hate to say content creator, right? Cause it sounds kind of cheesy and, and silly, a social media influencer, quote unquote. It's not that, but, uh, being part of the community and sharing. And uh, I think that's great. Um, everything that I have stumbled upon has, has kind of been a growth out of that. I think now we're at almost 150,000 subscribers, which is incredible. It's a really awesome community of people just wanting to have fun and, and wanting to learn, wanting to grow. Yeah. It's funny when I get, if I, if I speak at a conference or, um, push out an episode of the podcast or even just put up a blog, you know, there's nice little thank you notes that you get from folks that, Hey, look, this, this help either change a perspective or you help me over a problem. Yeah. You know, th those, those get me up every morning and just say, Hey, that's cool. Like you to have some kind of influence on, on people. Absolutely. It's super fulfilling. So, you know, what does a day to day kind of operationally look like for you at, at Huntress? Yeah. So at Huntress, uh, it's funny. Um, I am, yes, a security researcher kind of in the threat ops department. So that means I get to do some of the cool, like on the keyboard, in the weeds stuff. That's very technical, reversing malware, looking at binaries, stuff like that. Um, but because I have a little bit of a, of a flair in that creative social aspect, I'm also off giving presentations and writing blog posts and chatting with awesome, incredible folks like you and, and trying to do outreach. So it's weird. I'm like a pony in between the marketing and, and the threat ops department. It's, it's great. It's a good blend. Yeah. It's tough for those of us that tend to be maybe a little bit more going out there in the industry. You, you, you tend to get pulled in a lot of different directions at time from Definitely. marketing departments. You know, I'm in a product company that have good product feedback and there are days my head spins and I'm having to constantly adjust to the audiences <laughs> that I'm, I'm interfacing with. Sometimes it's very technical. I'm like, oh, I got to put on my, my hacker hat to somebody in leadership where then I have to talk about ROI. Um, I'm, I'm imagining you have to go through the same thing, even when delivering reports to customers. You know, often the receiver of these uh you know, the products of our work when we do security assessments is, uh, is people that don't necessarily what we do on a day to day. How do you adjust your language or messaging for folks like that? Yeah, absolutely. You, you really hit the, the nail on the head because sometimes you're having a conversation with someone that knows, like they just get it. They, they totally understand whatever technical jargon you're throwing at them. Like, okay, we'll talk about this persistence mechanism that uses whatever visual basic script implant in a, in a scheduled task auto runs that kickstarts whatever PowerShell C-sharp to do some inflection and load shellcode into memory. And you could go on and on and on. And they'll understand it because <laughs> they're in the scene, right? 
Um, but as you mentioned, sometimes you do a different kind of presentation where maybe the audience isn't that deep in the weeds, all that low level. So you, you paint in, in broad strokes, right? Um, I, I always say, and this is probably a really bad analogy or a, a way to put it, but I'll say, hey, th sometimes these folks might not know the difference between the mouse and the keyboard. And, and that's not a slight, but that's just to kind of, hey, set the stage for this is the foundation that we should be talking at. This is the level that we want to, we want to keep it really high level. Yeah. Or do you find there's maybe certain things, uh, words, languages that resonate with those audiences more than say a technical community that, you know, might've possibly even surprised you. You think, wow, they really latched onto that. And I didn't even think of it that way. Yeah, absolutely. There, um, you know, there are, of course, are cybersecurity buzzwords, right? Um, and some folks might have different opinions or, or maybe a firmer grasp on it even than I do, but you can throw around your words that you might see on a, on a bingo card, right? Uh, cyber is there in that freebie spot. <laughs> you've got artificial intelligence off in one corner. You've got machine learning. You've got blockchain, next gen, deep learning, single plane of glass, all that. Uh, some folks might really want to hear that stuff. Maybe they, they, they like those terms. Uh, some folks might think that's kind of overused and pretty saturated. So we try to cut through that and, and get to the real content and the real stuff. But we had uh, recently over at Huntress put on an event, Hack It was the name of it. It was all lowercase. It was kind of cool and stylized, right? So hack underscore it or IT. Uh, and we would try to put a community online virtual event, right? with our MSP or managed service provider community. We had some vendors, other partners, other folks in the scene join us for talks and presentations and, and walk through some code and really cool demonstrations. Uh, but the audience that attended, we had over a thousand folks attend and it was incredible. Uh, but we tried to survey, we tried to ask like, hey, what do you folks feel comfortable with? What do, are you, okay with talking about either with your customer, with your client, your partners, et cetera. Um, and it's, it's when we look at kind of that, those numbers and what thankfully they're kind of willing to share with us, it's like less than a quarter have kind of an understanding working knowledge of persistence. You know, when a hacker leaves their, their foothold or their implant or their back door and even less than like 15%, even smaller than that kind of understand what we're talking about when we say, threat hunting, like actively looking for the badness, actively hunting for hackers. That's a little crazy to me sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think too, is, you know, our, our language has changed, particularly in the industry. It, it's sometimes a little bit difficult for us when we're on the kind of bleeding edge and cutting edge of how we're adapting to attackers techniques and emulation, or even in response. And so sometimes our language will change from, you know, incident response, data breach, threat hunting, uh, purple team, red team, you know, there's all these different things that, you know, yeah. when somebody says, I kind of get it, you're like, yeah, yeah, we're not, we're not talking about that in that way anymore. So, you know, how do you, how do you kind of, I guess, bucket some of these things when you look at threat hunting, purple team, red team, and pen testing? Because I think for a lot of folks, it can be really confusing of what they're looking for and what they're wanting and what they're getting as a result. 
I'm I'm super glad that you went in that direction because I was absolutely going to mention like we 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 met, we talk about blue teaming and we talk about red teaming and now we've got this whole purple teaming thing that's come into the mix and trying to capture you know that the encapsulate that definition is kind of hard and it sometimes it's really fuzzy uh, especially what that purple teaming might mean uh, so I guess in my mind and maybe some folks have a different delineation, right? Uh, red team, you're on the offense. You're playing the hacker. You're being the adversary. You're doing threat emulation, um, trying to actively cause effects on a target or victim network. Um, blue team, you're playing defense. You're fortifying things. You're hardening. You're securing. Blue team, I still, I think, wrap in that threat hunting incident response stuff because I just feel that's what the blue team might very well do. That I understand, and I think that is its own standalone thing as blue team. We can kind of put that big umbrella term on all that goodness, defense, fortifying security. That that feels that falls under the blue team umbrella, in my opinion. Um, when you talk about red teaming and penetration testing and ethical hacking and all those different terms, I think yeah, that has a lot more asterisks and disclaimer. I don't know about you, Doug, but when I hear pen test, I think that's just, okay, maybe a contract, maybe a for hire thing that's going to look at the security standpoint of some organization at one single standalone moment in time. Yeah. Red teaming might not be different. Do you jive with that? What do you think? I think so. And I think that's, that's you know, I, I wish I, you know, the reason I ask is because we don't have a clear definition in our industry and a lot of people feel strongly about certain things. And so when I've designed pen testing exercises, I try to do it more on the offensive emulation of, uh, you know, and, and quite frankly, cut some cut to the chase. Like sometimes I'll skip right. out the social engineering or phishing, go assume cam- uh, credential compromise, average user box attached to AD, non-privileged user, how far can I get? And we want to emulate that from that perspective. So there's a different beginning and end and seeing if they can get to the crown jewels. Um, where I've had some people say, no, we, we want to validate and test every system in this particular environment, which is, okay, now, now you're kind of you know, fuzzing and testing things a little bit differently and there's different objectives. So it's, it's really dependent on the outcomes I find. So I guess, you know, it really comes down to when somebody says to me, Hey, look, I I have an audit says I have to do an annual pen test. It usually has to go through a different series of questions. How do you typically respond to folks that say, Hey, I need a pen test. And they might not even know what they're asking for. Yeah. As you said, the pen test really, really defines, like it's got to be kind of kept within the constraints of the scope, right? And the rules of engagement. Like what can you actually, with authority, with with your get out of jail free card, <laughs> what can you realistically test and, and explore with the security audit? Um, having the conversation with the customer, or with the client is hard to do, especially if they don't exactly know what they want. Um, with that, I feel like you've just got to come with your understanding of like, Hey, this is what we've done in the past. This is kind of the reports that we're comfortable with. We'll look at your web server. We'll look at your exchange server. We'll look at X, Y, Z. Um, and then it, is this something that you're comfortable with? You'll have to ask them because if you're doing that sort of thing, you will need potentially a get out of jail free card. So everything kind of has to be above board in my opinion. 
And one of the things I've, you know, when I, I, again, stand on the shoulder of giants, but always taking advantage <laughs> of is, is the knowledge from others too, of, uh, you know, kind of pre-engagement exercise of setting some rules. And we certainly saw issues with the coal fire team doing a physical pen test down in Texas a couple years ago <laughs> and ending up in jail and, and finally getting exonerated rightfully. But, you know, what are some of the ground rules you try to set when you even go into an engagement to say, hey, look, you know, things could break, but I, I got to kind of see why I hear, but we also want to make it realistic. Yeah. When you or whatever kind of pen testing contract or individual that might be doing the security testing, you absolutely have to have conversations and at the very least written documentation or something official and formal and documented that's going to outline what is happening where. And especially have that communicated to everyone else that may or may not be affected from the security testing. Um, maybe potentially, and I've, and I've heard folks tell me this and I've, and I've had conversations with individuals where maybe they're work, doing their work, they're performing red teaming or penetration testing and someone in the target organization, maybe a sysadmin off in one corner or crevice of the, they're seeing, Hey, why am I getting all this, packet and data and traffic to my SQL server. What's going on with my database right now? And they just didn't know that this penetration test was happening. They didn't know that it was whatever security audit. It was just a breakdown in communication. It, it wasn't, I don't know, conveyed to all aspects of the organization where it needed to be. That stuff really happens. So I think it's definitely got to be communicated properly. Yeah, I've had organizations where you know my pen testers will run over and say, "Oh my God, we lost connection to the jump box. Um, what's going on?" We call, call you, know, you call the the customer we're doing the engagement with. They're saying they hunt it down. So yeah, somebody somebody saw it and just you know pulled the cat five out of the wall. <laughs> and it's it's happened more times than once. And yeah, it's it's very careful, uh, you know, because you you want to balance who knows who doesn't because you kind of want to see responses. But it's communication is key. Absolutely. So, you know, one of the more recent things too, and it, it's it's sometimes I get into some topical things, but certainly it's the the kind of <laughs> headline news over the last 24 hours, given when we're recording this on December 9th, is, mm. you know, FireEye had an incident and some of the red teaming tools got out, out there. Um, I have my own take on all this, but I, I'm kind of curious how you look at that whole situation and, and maybe some of your views. Uh. You're throwing a you're throwing it's, a fastball at me. Saying, they're not easy ones. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know it. Uh, it so it, it, I think it's hard to say with any certainty how bad this will be, like right now. Um, in the in the news that I've read, FireEye has said that the tools that were stolen or whatever was leaked. This that that was, those were exploits that already had publicly known vulnerabilities. So there were CVEs, there was stuff already disclosed out in the open internet and in the world for those bugs, for those vulnerabilities. So there weren't any zero days as part of that. Um, so some folks, I think, might look at that and they'd say like, oh, well, this isn't a big deal. There, there aren't any zero days. Patches already exist for this stuff. Yes, that is one standpoint, I think. There's another standpoint that I think we all need to kind of keep in mind is that like that might be the case in the perfect world that everyone has fully patched systems and 
there's no concern if there's not a zero day present. Uh, at the end of the day, we all know that that's not the world that we live in. <laughs> so, yeah, sure. I'm, I'm still dealing with SMBV one vulnerabilities in 2021. <laughs> so it's like <laughs> I was about to mention. Uh, I was about to say, like WannaCry, Eternal Blue, yeah. we know we, we knew that had been leaked like a year earlier than Microsoft. Like, and they had, Microsoft had already shipped patches for it, but there's still hundreds of thousands of infected computers with that SMBV1. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I look at it too, you know, and, and I have, you know, some, some pretty close friends that are on those various teams. Uh, and I, you know, I hate to just say, but you know, shit happens at times. And I think it's what I'm trying to frame it to people is first, don't do the pylon. I think we have this, a challenge in the industry that's been existent since the inception of the kind of pylon and finger pointing. And, but look, it happens in the best of families and it's not a matter of if, and when you have a breach, it's, it's the types of incidents you know about and the ones you don't, you know, we, we're all going to have an incident at one point or another. Uh, but what I was, I was impressed with them is at least saying, Hey, look, you know, from, uh, the blue teaming perspective. So here are the detection tools. So you, they at least put those out there. Yes. Um, but to put your, your first one, yeah, there, you know, without it being zero days is also say, look, if these things existed, um, as vulnerabilities, somebody else has already written the exploit for them. So in a way, it right. kind of opens it up a little bit. But yeah, it's it's an unfortunate day for the security community because I think people do want to do that pylon, um, and it's it's sometimes unfair. And you know, th- again, this is not the first time this thing's happened. You know, RSA has had theirs. I can I can go down the list of security companies over the oh, past yeah. <laughs> fifteen years that have had incidents. Um, so it's nothing new. Uh, and what I try to at least encourage a community to do is just, you say, hey, look, here's a shoulder to cry on. How do we prevent this again? You know, is do you see that as a continued problem with inside our community? People are like, you know, quickly pulling the Nelson Munsk of ha ha people as soon as it happens. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I I 100 percent agree. Like I 1000 percent agree with everything that you had said. It's bad news bears. Right. It, it's bummer that they got breached, but it happens. It happens to everyone. It will happen. <laughs> um, and it, it's really the onus then on the victim is how you kind of respond and, and how you go about handling this sort of incident. Because when you mentioned the pylon, yeah, the news articles, the headlines, they're really going to slaughter this thing because that makes quote unquote good journalism. That makes quote unquote a good story to read. Um, but FireEye, I think, is handling this as, as cleanly as they can. They're being transparent and working outright in the open, which I think is a good thing. Uh, you, you look at some of the GitHub stuff that they've shared and they've outlined, this is this is it. This is what has been leaked. Um, and I think that's a good way to do it. Um, I'm sorry, I might have missed your actual question there. I would just say, you know, just in general, you know, we, you know, the culture of our community sometimes particularly can be particularly toxic (laughs) when these things happen. And it's, it's, yeah, it's that, um, it happens to everybody. Now it's like on a long enough timeline, everybody's going to have an incident. Um, and it's, it's, we have a, uh, you know, we, we have a thing and I chat about it a lot with our founders, um, Kyle and Chris, I know you've, you've kind of chatted with them before, but they have this line that I absolutely love. It's, Everybody oops, you know, yeah. <laughs> kind of a pl- kind of a play off of whatever cheesy old school uh, childhood book uh, going through potty training or whatever. But everybody oops. The- these accidents happen. Um, and it's OK. I think even what we want to do as Huntress is potentially and we thought about this a bit is maybe keeping a record and keeping some archive of these accidents that we know about, uh, but being 
super duper transparent that we have our own oops. You know, we, we, we have faults and we find our weaknesses in ourselves and we want to make that public and transparent because we're not trying to gatekeep this thing and doing what FireEye is doing, make opening this all up and making it transparent. That's what's going to really improve and enhance our security community. That's what's going to help those defenders, like you mentioned. So. Yeah, I mean, my 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 mantra lately has been: I, I don't want to be doing the same job in five years. I'm tired of <laughs> fixing the same problems, and I think so much of it is um, people hide from their problems or shame from their problems. And quite frankly, we have nobody but our own industry to blame from that because people don't feel comfortable coming forward because like us, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a nightmare in the press when it's like the reality is again, it it happens to everybody. This just happens to be the ones that made the news today. Yeah. Okay. So can I, can I ask you, do you feel like you'll be doing the same job in five years? I mean, again, I've been saying that for 20 years and every five (laughs) years I'm still doing that. I I really, I really hope there's there's a lot that can change and we bake in a lot of security and we're we're finding new hacks, you know, and and maybe that goes to another question. I mean, how often do you go into environments and you do see legacy vulnerabilities or, you know, some of the things are just, I think there's a perception that, you know, when you do pen testing and you get into it is that it's going to be very Mr. Robot matrixy hooded Mm -hmm. in the dark. popping zero days left and right. And the reality is it's now I got into an RDP server that was connected to the AD controller and we're done in under two hours. You know, it's like, it's not always this, this sick, slick kind of way in. It's often the low hanging fruit. Let me tell you this story. And I love this. This, this is, this is perfect. I love this segue. Um, because right, we're, we're recording this kind of the end of the year, right? December 9th, 2020. Uh, so a lot of folks, you know, the news outlets and the journalists are going to be asking like, Hey, what are your 2021 predictions? What do you think next year is going to be? Um, and, and I kind of want to take the stance, like, look, we got to stop this. We, we cannot try and see the future when we can't even address the past, right? Uh, we were poking at some stuff the other day, and it's whatever web server, you can interact with other, other individuals, you got a profile, you log in, and it's PHP, right? And old school kind of original PHP server, uh, and maybe you wanted to change your profile picture. So you upload a file. Uh, There is no sanitization on what you upload. So you could just upload a PHP web shell and you could just straight up get code execution on the web server because you uploaded a file that wasn't checked whatsoever. Now that's like a decade old. (laughs) That's that's an old school trick, right? Uh, And we're still seeing that. It's still real. We can't try and see the future with our glass ball beyond Nostradamus when we're still seeing the basic stuff just come back and bite us. We can't, we haven't addressed the past yet. We can't even look to the future. Yeah. If I, if I get asked this question, I'm going to do the prediction on the uh, Verizon DBI report. A WIR report that there's still a Ooh. mean dwell time of six months that most of these are happening from phishing attacks. And then when it comes out, people are like, oh my God, it's amazing. I'm like, no, it's been the same report for 10 years. I mean, nothing <laughs> has changed in that report substantially in a decade. And that oh. seems to be a problem. So, you know, where, where do we get organizations to start addressing these fundamental issues? Um, you know, how do we, how do we move this ball forward? Yeah. So, I don't mean to come across all all doom and gloom, and I know I know we've sort of been driving towards that. Um, yes, we we gotta 
pick up the ball. We've got to, we've got to fix things. Um, and it's hard and we don't exactly know, which is, is a crappy thing to come to as our conclusion. Um, but I've, I've started to say that, look, MSPs, managed service providers, right. Kind of Huntress's target audience. Um, we, we try to speak specifically to them, but I think we also see, yeah, we, we still see the same damage done at, at the enterprise level. Uh, really big conglomerate corporations or companies might still get hit the same way an MSP might. So we've got to put the onus on like us as vendors. It's weird. Like, us as Huntress, us as XYZ product vendor or security solution, we've got to be the ones that bring to light all the security awareness. We've got to be showcasing these vulnerabilities. We've got to be finding them before the bad guys do. We've got to be raising that cybersecurity poverty line because we've got to come to the conclusion, the business, the company, they're not going to be able to do it themselves because they have a business to run. <laughs> they're too busy. They don't care. Security falls to the wayside. Uh, that happens all too often. Okay, we the security providers, we, the community experts, we've really got to step it up and we've got to educate and we've got to help grow this thing. So that's what we're trying to do. That's, that's what we wanted to bring Hackett forward with. Uh, that's what, that's really our ideal, you know? Yeah. I think it's, you know, it's, it's changing the scotch and raising awareness. And I, th I think it happens, you know, kind of on both sides, both on the business and our side, uh, because I think, you know, we, we can be at fault too. And I was dealing with the data, leakage issue with a very large organization a couple of years mm. ago um, and just putting out the fire for weeks. And, you know, I'm finally budding up with the director of IT who's also handling all the security. I said, you know, well, you know, very easily a DLP solution could have and should have been in place from this. Not that DLP is a, a magic bullet or a save all, but I was like for your type of intellectual property and what occurred and it was just kind of more of an insider threat data leak. It's like, why didn't you guys just have this basic control at least addressed? And he said, well, look, you know, I, I wanted to, but then, you know, the CEO and marketing decided to get everybody iPads and took my budget away. So kind of screw them. I'm like, well, it's not screw them. I don't think you really identified the risk properly. <laughs> I think it was on you, not them in the messaging to to get them to understand that type of risk. And that's really the unsexy thing I think of what we do is identifying risk in organizations and letting somebody else know about it so they can make an informed decision. We always tend to fall back to the, the unsexy stuff. <laughs> we, we always end up talking about the boring, lame, not the Mr. Robot, not the war games, none of the cool, high-flying, flashy stuff, but the boring stuff that we have to have in place for actual security, you know? Yeah. So one of the things too, you know, that comes up pretty frequently in our industry is that, you know, there's just not enough talent. There's not enough people. And I, I'm kind of on this latest, latest, uh, windmill attacking saga to <laughs> really say, you know, look, it's, it's, there's, there's more to it than that. It's just not a numbers game. And part of it is there's, there's leadership issues, but it's also making it more inclusive. Um, and so a lot of what I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on is the ability to make it more accepting for people to come in and, and less threatening. And it could be because of somebody's gender identity, race, general attitudes that sometimes we have a toxic environment where people feel like they're going to be put down. So, you know, what are some of the things that you've seen change in your time that might make things, I don't want to just say, again, it's all doom and gloom, but there's, there's progress out there, but where you're starting to th see things happen that's making our industry more 
maybe palatable for other people that don't look like the typical cis white middle-aged white guy. I think, uh, I think this kind of taps into what I've sort of become as like sort of my mantra. Like I, I always, when I try to, when people are trying to get into the scene or they want to learn more cybersecurity, they want to break into the industry. They just want to get better. Um, personally, just me, you know, John, I, I tell people, I tell people to go play capture the flag. Uh, I think that is the most distilled, uh, digestible, broken down means and like the way to practice and play and learn uh, that, that really is engaging for people because uh, it's a game, right? You make you make cybersecurity, you make all these problems, you make that into a sport and there's a leaderboard where you can objectively benchmark and measure your progress, see how you like actually have a tangible solution for things and know what problems you can solve and how to solve it. I, I swear by capture the flag and I tend to, <laughs> I tend to shout from the rooftops all about it. Maybe that's a fault of mine, but I think that those exercises, those activities, those puzzles and those games, when you play a capture the flag, sure, you can, it doesn't matter who you are, how old you are, what you look like, race, gender, et cetera. You're, you're, you're playing to play. You're on the team. You're another individual that's valued for what you can contribute and what problems you can solve and how, I don't know, see your merit and, and what you can do in the realm of cybersecurity. Um, I see plenty of initiatives, uh, Girls Who Code, um, Women Hack, et, et cetera. Uh, any other, again, race, gender organization that might be trying to break in and cybersecurity, capture the flag, I think a CTF is, is the best way to get your feet wet and to help grow the community. In my opinion, I always think that's the best thing. Yeah, no, I mean, we're, we're obviously with, with my organization Splunk, we, we host some pretty big ones and I've always felt it's a great way. You know, it, it solves a lot of problems because you can't have the anonymity of doing it. Um, but in, you know, the proof is in the pudding. Like if you win, you win. It's based on your merit and skills and you likely get a lot of hands-on experience. And so, you know, like the holiday hackathon that's coming up. Yes. Sands. I mean, it's, it, and it's fun. Like we have to kind of gamify a lot of these things. And it, even, you know, if you look at cybersecurity in, in general, and you know, that can come to an end user training with inside organizations to make it more digestible where I've gone and done security awareness training and said, Hey, look, you know, if you see a phishing email, don't just delete it report to help desk. We're trying to build threat vectors, IOC, stuff like that. Go back a year later. And if it's, you know, this was particularly in New York City with very um, type A personalities in this one particular, you know, it was a law firm, all you know, very litigators, like they fight. That's what they wow. live for. Running up to me, tell me who was the first one in the past year to be reporting uh, phishing emails first. I mean, it, it became a game to them. And I was like, if that works for your culture and it makes security acceptable, by all means do it. And it really, yeah, really became it. kind of an eye opener. It's like when you gamify things, it, it takes some of the, the, the anxiety down on a lot of this. Do you have a, do you have your hands in boss of the sock? I think, is that right? That's Splunk's kind of flagship CTF it, game. Is it, that right? It, it is. I, I promote people to go to it and get my customers, but the, the team that works with it and shout outs to, uh, to Dave Harold and, and Brodsky nice. and Kovar and the whole team, Lily Lee. I mean, the team I get to work with, I mean, again, it's, it's incredibly bright and gifted people that I, I feel dumb around every day, which is the reason I show up to work. But it's, it's, but that's that type of effort of really saying, hey, look, from a vendor's perspective, we're going to basically give away a huge capture of the flag on our platform. And it's not for sales and marketing. It's really because, look, all the tools are the same. 
We always tell people a vendor's a vendor. It's what you get out of it and the support. And if, if you don't know how to use the tool, what good is it? And it's it's really kind of comes down to that muscle memory in the seat of not just going for a one week stands training, which are great, but then going mm. in and, and not getting skill attrition by by practicing. I mean, this is a this is a industry of practice twenty four seven. I'm super excited for the Sands Hall to Hack Challenge. I'm glad you mentioned that one. Uh, I, w- I was so thankful. I-, I got to squeeze in and give a talk at last year's KringleCon. <laughs> nice, nice, yeah. I don't know where Scotus finds the time to put all this on. I mean, he's 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 in a million different directions. But oh, good I, I admire Ed so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that too, are there any other you know mentors and, and people of influencers in the industry that you're looking up to that say you know they were they were maybe fundamental in your your career development? Yeah, Ed Scotus, obviously, uh, I, 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 it's weird. I put him on a, on a mental pedestal. I think he's <laughs> in, incredible. And I, he taught my SANS uh, 560 course <laughs> for ethical hacking and network penetration testing. Um, hacking Dave, you know, Dave Kennedy. I know um, him well. I think, I think I had seen one of the uh, interviews you had done with him, and uh, he's an excellent, excellent individual. There are just so many. I, I, I think our industry is full of a lot of incredible infosec pros you know there are a lot of great people and i'm honored and blessed and flattered to be a part of it so i feel the same so john where where can people find you on the uh on the interwebs these days i'm waiting for the ambulance yeah. <laughs> to drive by <laughs> well it's usually monday mornings when i get the dump trucks that, that right right pull up to my, my door yeah Oh, no, uh, if folks are interested, you can uh, find me online on YouTube. Uh, my name there is simply my name, uh, John Hammond. Uh, you'll see my my cheesy face and some red hair. You can tell it's me all about cybersecurity, capture the flag write-ups. Also on Twitter at underscore John Hammond. You can track me down on LinkedIn. Uh, I guess uh, you can find me anywhere. You can, you can certainly cyberstalk me, but I'm happy to... Uh, Happy to reach out and chat with anyone. So, Well, John, I greatly appreciate you taking the time today. Thank you so much. This has been a blast, Doug. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. so much. Thank you so much for joining us today on Cybersecurity Interviews. I hope that you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. Please go to cybersecurityinterviews.com where you can find every episode, including show notes and links for each guest. There you can also find social media links and to sign up for new episode notifications. Thanks. We'll talk soon.